For it is the bowed heart that I look for. It is the bowed and humble heart before me. It is not the outward appearance. It is not the one who thinks I can do it all. It is the one who thinks I can do nothing, nothing without my God, nothing without the Spirit of the Holy Spirit within them. That is the one, that is the one that I look for to anoint to do my work, says the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Thank you, Jesus. In our in our weakness. God is able to move in miraculous and mighty ways. It seems a theme of the scriptures and our relation to Christ is the less of us there is in the way, the, the more he's able to move and, and in a more miraculous and mighty way. And I went back and listened this week to our, the sermon. Uh, I forgot the exact title of it, but it was dealing with um, Paul and the thorn in the flesh and in his weakness, he is strong in Christ, and it's uh, again a something you know we, we we're to die to ourselves, and um, none of us want to be weak. None of us want to be in that position of vulnerability. But it's a position in which Christ is so able to move, and um, it's a theme throughout missions and those missionaries that have such great and miraculous stories and, and testimonies that they felt low and weak and uh, vulnerable and then God did mighty and miraculous things. It's just something, a, a part of us that's difficult to lay down and set aside for him to move without circumstances moving in such a way that we don't have a choice but to, but to be vulnerable, to be weak, to be feeling uh, unable to do all that we'd want to do. I mean, it, it, you think, well, I need resources and I need strength and I need better Bible knowledge. I need to have everything memorized. I need to have a commanding voice and a um, wealth to back it all up with. And it's completely inconsistent with the scriptures and what we see in God using people in mighty and miraculous ways. Not that those attributes aren't Nice to have, but it's not necessary for Christ to move and for him to be mighty. All it takes is a willing and, and uh, humbled vessel for him to move in. But it is a scary thing to ask God for, isn't it? To humble us in such a way that he's able to be mighty in us. But it's a part of sanctification and growth in Christ to say, I'm ready to be laid low because 
I know that what it is you have to do within us is better, is more uh, beneficial for us and everyone else around us than the thing, than our own agenda. Even though our own agenda may seem righteous enough, it's, it's his will for us that we want. And we don't always know what that is, of course, and so we have to humble ourselves and say, okay, whatever you need to do within my life, whatever circumstances that need to be brought about for you to move in the most mighty way, I'm willing to endure that. I'm willing to step into that, and I'm willing to submit to you to have your will done in my life. Good morning. Well, we are officially in the Advent portion of the Christmas season, and lots of activities and events are coming on the horizon, and we want to be sure that you know and that you are invited to our Sunday, the December 17th, so that's two Sundays from now, for our annual Christmas dinner and party. Some fun things being planned for that day. I want to say also, as Audrey did, how proud I was of everyone last week who participated in the Thanksgiving uh, Sunday service. I thought it was so beautiful, and I got a lot of good feedback from the participants that, you know, they really enjoyed doing that and would like to do it again sometime in the future. So I, I'm thankful for that. I noticed a few recurring themes, uh, and I want to talk about one of those today. Some spoke of revivals in the past, and I agree that we've had some wonderful revivals in the past. I also know that times have changed, and evangelists aren't even really uh, a thing anymore. People don't go out and hold meetings like that like they used to do, uh, not nearly to the degree that they did. But one thing I want to say about revivals, and I think you will agree that it's true, repentance always precedes revival, always. If you would turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I'm going to begin to lay out some background for this passage of scripture, and I would, I would suggest that this week you read 1 Samuel 8 through 16, chapters 8 through 16, for more details, because I'm going to leave out a whole bunch of details and you can read them for yourself. And this is a wonderful passage of scripture and a lot of things, a lot of teachings and a lot of um, gleanings that we can get from these, these chapters. But at this time, Samuel was a righteous prophet and a judge in Israel. He was a valiant military leader, as you know. Many people of God's choosing wore multiple hats. They were the religious leader. They were the military leader. They sort of did it all in a capacity that the Lord installed. And God protected Israel and delivered them under the leadership of Samuel. But at this point in time, Samuel was getting up in years, and his sons had unfortunately 
proven that they were not the caliber of leader that their father was, nor the dedicated godly man that their father was. So the people rebelled against Samuel and demanded that God give them a king. And Samuel was very distraught over this, and he went to the Lord in prayer. And what did the Lord say? Samuel, it isn't you that they are rejecting. It's me. They don't want me to be. They don't want me to be their king. And the Lord went on saying, Ever since I brought them out of Egypt, they've abandoned me and sought after other gods. And so the Lord instructed Samuel to do as the people had asked, but first to warn them that the king will truly rule over them. A king will enslave their young men to work in camps for him. You can read this yourself next week. And a king will take their beautiful daughters and will cause them to be his servants at his beck and call every time. And a king will exact high taxes from the people and put the money in his own pocket. Let's read 1 Samuel 8, verse 19, starting with verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we want a king, they said. 1 Samuel 8, 19, and now 20. We want to be just like everyone else, just like the other nations around us, and our king will judge us and lead us into battle. And don't you know, they would pay a high price for that conformity to the world system. Verse 21, so Samuel went to the Lord and repeated what the people had said. And the Lord replied, do as they say and give them a king. And Samuel agreed and sent the people home. And so it was that God chose Saul in all of his strengths and all of his weaknesses alike and instructed Samuel to anoint him to be the first king of Israel. But how many know that first impressions can be very deceiving? Saul presented the ideal outward appearance, the image of a grand king. He was wealthy, but generous. He had courage, and he was tall and stately of stature. But the tendencies of his character did not equal his outward appearance. And he often went contrary to God's commands and in his arrogance found himself in full-on disobedience to God's word. He was impulsive in his decision-making. And as a result, he put his family, his army, and his people at great risk. And we know that he was very jealous because he tried to uh, kill David time and again. He allowed that fault to overtake him to the point of trying to commit murder. Now, if you would flip forward to chapter 15, we're going to read verse 10. Then the Lord said to Samuel, 
I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me, and he refused to obey my commands. And Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night long. And the next morning when Samuel went to find Saul, he learned that Saul was busy making a monument to himself instead of giving the glory for the victory against the Amalekites to the Lord. You'll recall that Moses and Joshua and many others built altars to the Lord when they were the victor over the enemy. But Saul built himself the monument instead of giving God the credit. And then when Saul, uh, Samuel confronted Saul with his sin against God's command, Saul corrected Samuel, and he was congratulating himself that the animals he had spoiled were going to be used as an offering and a sacrifice to the Lord, even though God had forbidden him to take them. Look at uh, chapter 15, verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Samuel said, I don't even want to hear any more of this excuses and you're uh, trying to assuage your own feelings for sinning against God. So Samuel said, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. And Samuel, Samuel told him, Although you may think, because Saul was putting himself down in this excuse he was giving, he said, although you may think a little of yourself, are you not the leader of Israel? In other words, doesn't the buck stop here with you? Aren't you the responsible one? The Lord sent you on a mission and told you to destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until all were dead. But you disobeyed and you rushed for the plunder and you did the evil in the sight of the Lord. Now skip down to verse 20. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, the goats and the cattle, and plunder to sacrifice. Look, look what your Bible says there. To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Does yours say the Lord your God? Not my God. Saul's not owning the relationship with God. He's pointing the finger back at Samuel and said, we did all this to worship your God. But Samuel replied, look at verse 22 and 23. What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. For obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as the sin 
is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, verse 24, Yes, I have sinned. I have, I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. For I was afraid of the people. Now he's giving more excuses. And I did what they demanded. In verse 25, but now please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Verse 26, and Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. 27, and Samuel turned to go. And Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not a human that he should change his mind. And verse 30, then Saul pleaded again, I know I have sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God once again. So Samuel finally agreed and went back with him and Saul worshiped the Lord. And Samuel had the job of executing King Agag as Saul was commissioned to do and failed in his assignment. In verse 35, concludes sadly that Samuel never saw Saul again, but that he mourned for him constantly. And one last verse in 1 Samuel, if you'll turn to 16, chapter 16, verse 7. When the Lord sent Samuel to the house of Jesse to find the next king, verse 7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him, speaking of one of Jesse's sons, for the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Repentance re precedes revival, and repentance of the heart is what is required for revival, always. Yes, Saul repented, and a bit later, so did the people repent for rejecting Samuel and God. What is the importance of the story? It's this, that repentance is required for revival. But we have to get to the point 
that we say without hesitation, it's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Saul was God's first chosen leader, but he was incapable of being king on his own, and he rejected the God that put him in the position. So the next king that God anointed for Israel was David. Very different profiles of men. One had a perfect outward appearance of an accomplished, capable leader, but he didn't have the godly character that he could say, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer because he thought he could do it alone. But the other, David, by comparison, was a mere youngster with boyish ways, but he was the one who sought to do the will of God. He said often, it's me, oh Lord, I need prayer, I need your touch. And this is why God chose him, because of his repentant heart. And why was it so important that David is the one who God chose to be on the throne of Israel and by covenant said that his seed would remain on the, on the throne of Israel? It's because this is the one whom God chose to provide the bloodline for his son. Well, I said we're in the Advent season. Jesus is about to come. But the bloodline had to be put in place way back when. Would you turn to Matthew 1.1? I'm getting near the end. Matthew 1.1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Now skip all the way down to verse 17. And all those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 generations from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. It had to be David. He was the right one. And I'm going to close with this. One more scripture, if you will turn to Revelation 22, verse 16. What a beautiful, beautiful statement this is. Jesus is speaking in the first person, Revelation 22, 16. Jesus, I, Jesus, excuse me, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source, the root of David and heir to his throne, I am the bright and morning star. Jesus is saying that he is both David's source or root or creator and the heir to his throne. So as the creator of all, Jesus existed long before David did. 
And as a human, he was one of David's direct descendants in his bloodline. But as the Messiah, he was the bright and morning star that brought the light of salvation to all. So Jesus said, I am the source. I am the root of David. I caused it all, and I am his salvation, the bright and morning star. Oh, revival is wonderful, and we cling to those memories, yes. Oh, but repentance, the bowing of the heart, as we heard this morning, it's God's way. It has to be this way. Will you stand with me this morning, please? And as we enter this season of celebration, can we see the importance of personal repentance? And we've talked, we've talked many times this year about repenting for the state of our country, and I believe in doing that. Yes, I absolutely do. But right now, just take a moment to look inside your own heart and say, it isn't my brother nor my sister. Oh, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of a clean swipe of your blood. A clean, we take those cloths that are pre-moistened and pre um it has that detergent and di disinfectant in it. And we just wipe down the surface. Ask him to wipe down the surface once more. That it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of your blood and your forgiveness. Because we see that God is ready and willing to bring good things through the people who are obedient and have a bowed heart before him. He had to clear the gunk out of Saul before he made room for David on the throne so he could usher in Jesus, the creator, the heir to the throne, and the bright and morning star, the light of salvation for all. Father, we give you praise. We're so thankful, O oh God, for your word and for your plan that included the bloodline through David, Lord Jesus. And you said that he would sit on, his thro on the throne. A descendant of his would forever sit on the throne. And Jesus sits on the throne of our hearts. Oh, God, thank you for the forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that when we mess up, so badly, Lord, we can come back and say, oh, one more swipe, one more cleansing of the disinfecting blood of Jesus will make it all right again. And I'll be in right standing with my Savior, and I will not reject him. Oh, but I will receive everything that he has in store 
for me. Oh, I thank you, Lord, that you do use fallible people, that you do use us, Lord, even when we make gross mistakes. You cleanse us and clean us up and shine us up and get us ready for the next time that we can be used of God. I pray, Lord, that you would be with each one of us this week. Oh, God, protect those that are ill. I pray again for Uncle Ron. Cleanse his blood of that infection, Lord. Drive it out in the name of Jesus and give him sparkling clean blood and clear those airways that he can breathe once again in Jesus' name. Oh, we thank you, Lord, and we just invite you to go with each one. Oh, envelop us in your blood, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask all of these things, and we say amen and amen. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful that you can say, he's your God? You don't have to say, he's somebody else's God. He's yours. Amen.